This is Abscond with Ethan Renault, episode 8. The music you're listening to is by my friend Nick Lang. That's Nick L-E-N-G. Check him out on SoundCloud. I'm here in my parents' house with my dad, Larry Renault, and we're just sitting at the kitchen table. I have my glass of water, and he has his glass of port. You want to say hi? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the table. <laughs> Uh, Last week, I asked my dad if he could give a talk or a lesson or a podcast about anything in the world, anything at all, what would he want to talk about? And the very first thing he said, without even thinking about it hardly, was on praying the Psalms. So he sent me a uh, couple notes that he has on praying the Psalms from past lessons he's given. And we're just going to dive into praying the psalms, what does that mean, what are the psalms, Um, that type of thing. Um, Real quick, though, my dad has been a pastor for... 30-plus years. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you got hired as a pastor right before I was born. At Waterstone, but I was a youth pastor uh, before that, five years, so... But you became yeah. a real pastor right before. I right, there. a real pastor. So a real <laughs> pastor for 20-some. Yeah. <laughs> so he graduated from Denver Seminary as well, which is where I'm currently attending. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the family business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're keeping that place running. <laughs> okay, so I'll just go through the questions and take as long as you want answering them. All and right. I might ask some more questions that aren't written down too. Um, so first question. What are the Psalms? The Psalms are uh, a series of prayer. There's 150 of them. They happen to be right in the middle of the the Bible. They are mostly composed by David, who is the great king of Israel, one by Solomon, uh, others by worship teams in the uh, temple monarchy period. But uh, they're prayers, and uh, they were set to music and uh, uh, sung corporately um, in Israel's worship. Do you know who wrote Psalm 89? Ethan the Ezraite. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's not who I was named after. (laughs) No. (laughs) I was named after a TV show. TV show, show. yeah. (laughs) The name escapes me right now. Wasn't that Paradise? Maybe that was it, yeah. Yeah. So in your notes, you had you have like a couple random lines, which I'm right. assuming you know what they refer to, but right, right, me right. reading the notes, I didn't know what they referred to. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite lines from your notes was, when a Jew was squeezed, the Psalms came out. Right, right. So um, l- let me back up and kind of give some context to that uh, quote. It, people often will ask me how to pray or they want to learn to pray. And by that, they usually are implying, like, what is the best book I could read? Or what's a new book or podcast you've heard that's really hot uh, to teach you how to pray? Abscond with Ethan Renault. Right, something like that. (laughs) And uh, my response usually is not what they expect. And it's, well, it's, it's, you've already have it. It's in your Bible. It's the dog-eared psalms that uh, God has given to help people learn to pray. And then what I like to do is just explain a little bit about how the Psalms worked uh, to teach Israel how to pray. So that that line, when a Jew squeezed, the Psalms came out. Corporately, whenever Israel was doing well in their relationship with God, the Psalms were present. There's this great passage in uh, Chronicles about the revival of Hezekiah. And one of the things that uh, was common in a period of revival was that it says that the Psalms were read. 
And so when Israel was excited for God and doing well, walking in his ways, the Psalms were present in their worship. So that's in, true on a corporate level. It's also true on an individual level. Jonah, you probably remember the story of Jonah getting swallowed by the, the shark. And, uh, you know, he, he was uh, in the belly there and he would do what any of us would do. He prayed. Uh, but what's interesting about the prayer that Jonah gives in the shark's belly is that it's all from the Psalms. Probably as a young boy in Sabbath school, he learned the Psalms. He memorized the Psalms. And every line of Jonah 2 is from the Psalms, most of it from Psalm 18. And that's the when a Jew was squeezed, the Psalms came out. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true in Jesus' life, from his temptation in the desert when he quoted Psalms, to his last moments on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22.1. Jesus found solace in the Psalms. And uh, it's true in the early church, too. If you start reading through the book of Acts, there's this chapter, this incident in chapter 4 when Peter and John were put in jail. They were released. They showed up. And in Acts 4, what they find is the early church praying Psalm 2. Um, and uh, reminding themselves through praying Psalm 2, who is sovereign, who's in control. The end of that psalm, or the beginning of Psalm 2, is why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one. So there's this early church being harassed and persecuted, but they're praying Psalm 2 and uh, reminding themselves who's in charge. Basically, whenever the Israelites felt any height of emotion, the Psalms came out, whether yeah. they were good or bad or otherwise. Right. That's, that's how they expressed it's, themselves. It was their language, yeah. It, it held their prayers, held their life. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I noted in your notes was you said for 1,800 years, churches used the Psalms to pray. So, in, in other words, like, I'm guessing 0 A.D. until the 1800s. Yeah. Um, especially the Reformation, like mm -hmm. Martin Luther's right. Winley. Yep. And then, so my question was, where did they go? Like, yeah. There's the assumption that the last 200 years, there's kind of been a, a lack of psalms in right. churches. Is that what you're implying? It is, it is. Well, in, in uh, you know, evangelical, the more free church kind of worship, obviously I think they're still very present in liturgical, tra traditional kinds of worship. But I think more in the circles that we swim lately in uh, contemporary evangelical churches uh we've kind of lost the psalms I, I would say for two reasons eth one uh i think just we've lost how beautiful they are and i think people are unaware of the power of psalms and um there it's a foreign idea to many people in our churches that the, we should be using the psalms to learn how to pray and then secondly i i think what happened over the last at least the last uh 50 to 70 years is there was this whole movement to make everything contemporary and anything that was repetitive or boring we kind of threw out or anything that was written prior to like the 1990s right, right. and so that's been a huge loss and as a consequence i think we've forgotten how essential the psalms are yeah that's good um so let's get into then um people who are interested in how, then, do I go about praying the Psalms, right. and what does that look like? So, you say Hebrew poetry uses two devices, parallelism and metaphor. Yeah. Um, can you define those and explain why they're important, how we go about utilizing them? Yep. I would start even 
by reminding uh, us that the Psalms are poetry. And so poetry is a specific genre. It's a language of the heart. It's emotional language. And uh, uh, I, I remember, have you ever watched the Dead Poets Society? Oh, yeah. I watched Maybe. it like yeah. a month ago. Right. So there's this line or this scene in there where Robin Williams is teaching at this private school and he tells the boys to define poetry. What's the purpose of poetry? He says, and all these boys are flipping through the textbooks and giving <laughs> all these official formal answers. Yeah. And every time Robin Williams' character says, no, 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 thank you for playing. And uh, <laughs> then he finally says, boys, 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 come in, bring it in. And he says, men, the purpose of poetry is to woo women. <laughs> That's the idea of poetry. It's the language of emotion and heart. So it's always important to keep that in mind when we're in the Psalms, when we're reading them and learning to pray them, that it's emotive language. So Hebrew poetry in particular stirred up and brought that emotion to the surface with two techniques. The one is parallelism. So if you read through the Psalms, you'll notice a lot of repetition. C.S. Lewis Describe parallelism, saying the same thing twice using different words. And uh, it's not that it's just blind repetition. Usually the second repetition advances the first thought of the uh, rep, rep, the first line. And uh, But what he's doing, the purpose of parallelism is to get you to slow down, to shift out of that, you know, nine to five, hit the asphalt, got to go to work kind of mode that most of us live in. The beauty of parallelism and the repetition is just to get us to take a breath, slow it down, and let it sink in to create kind of space in our lives for God to get a word in. So, for instance, if you look at one, arguably the most famous Psalm 23, how many different ways can God say? I mean, the big idea of Psalm 23 is God will care for you. Hmm. But every phrase is a different way you know when it talks about pastures and still waters and right paths and rod and staff and table and anointing all these things they're saying the same thing but it's like nine different ways right just to let it absorb the other famous there's another famous psalm in 51 after david's oh, yeah. great sin with bathsheba what's in, yeah right and what's interesting about that Heath, is in that psalm there's 19 different hebrew verbs that describe grace there's only four verbs that describe this sin. So it's like David is saying, I'm getting this. And the, I'm, the most important thing with our sin and God's grace is to keep the main event the main event. What's the main event? It's God's grace. Hmm. 19 different ways we're forgiven. So there's this repetition to slow us down, to create space. That's the parallelism. Right. And then the second thing is metaphor. And you might remember from your... English high school class <laughs> with your teacher whose name was. Do you want to call out any of your teachers? I don't know. <laughs> I had a one. lot of. Yeah. Oh, man. The uh, fact Mr. that you Sigler. can't remember them. Okay. Mr. Sigler. Mr. Sigler. I, yeah. Okay. I feel like we learned what metaphors were before high school. Though. Oh, okay. Probably did. It's like my favorite t-shirt I've ever seen. <laughs> so, um, it just says, similes are like metaphors. There you go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a comparison using like or as, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you're comparing one thing to describe another thing. You, uh, so the Psalms are full of them. So for instance, if you say in the Psalms, you think, well, God is my, you could fill in the blank, uh, all these different metaphors like shepherd or strong tower or fortress or let's say rock. And so the beauty of the metaphor is that it, it creates imagination. So when you think of a rock, 
I, I like to say to people, when I think of God as a rock, I never think of Plymouth Rock. Because remember when we lived right. in the Cape? Did you ever yeah. go to Plymouth Rock? Yeah, we went as a family. We Oh, that's right. I was there. And uh, <laughs> what a disappointment, right? The Plymouth Rock is a, like, you hear about it and the Pilgrim's Landing and blah, blah, blah. You think it's going to be this huge cliff and it's the size of a football yeah. with barely enough room for 1620 on it. And it's the greatest <laughs> disappointment of living in New England. Yeah. And uh, so when I think of God is my rock, I don't think of Plymouth Rock. You know, I think of like Mount Massive or yeah. know, 14 or something like that. But the beauty is you get to fill the metaphor. So it's the language of participation. Like in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, what does that table right. look like? Yeah. Turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, yeah. gravy. You've yeah. talked about in the past, like you go to the Middle East, they're going to have a table right. where you're like sitting on the ground or on pillows and you're eating curry. Exactly. Whereas, yeah, so it's like there's space for Imagina adap imagination. Yeah, imagination, adaptation. It's like God inviting you to fill in the how this looks and how he's going to care for you. Mm-hmm. So that's why the Psalms, I think, work is uh, through metaphor parallelism, they invite you in to this conversation. Yeah. So God. was there something else you were going to say? I was going to say, so and you asked how to pray them. Uh, just a couple of thoughts on that. One is uh, I like to pray them aloud. And, and we always need to remember that the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, was written as an oral document. Mm -hmm. It wasn't written to be uh, you know, read. It was written to be heard. And for 1,400 years or more until the printing press was invented, that's how every Christian follower of Jesus had their devotion, was through mm -hmm. hearing someone read a copy of the Scripture. So I think it's powerful to read the psalm aloud so that you actually listen to it while you're reading. And then I think it's important, you know, when we read a psalm that we're not just reading it to get through it, but we're actually using it as to create space in our life for God to speak in. So I always say, let your mind wander. So when you're reading a psalm and uh, like it's a metaphor or uh, just slowing it down, and I think the Spirit could bring a person to your mind or a situation, uh, something that He wants to tap you on the shoulder and say, uh, you know, I pray for this. So always leave space as you read the psalm to be interrupted. Hmm. That's good. As opposed to like just kind of skimming it, like have mercy on me, oh God, according yeah, to your yeah. unfailing love, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so you give a template for praying a song, mm -hmm. um, and it's the three A's, the triple yep. A's. The triple A's. And we need to give credit to one of our heroes, Tim Keller. It, that's actually from his book, The Songs of Jesus, which uh, Jen and I pray through. Uh, every year. It, it, and I would, ha by the way, a little plug, I would really recommend that book yeah. for learning to pray the Psalms. It's called The Songs of Jesus by Tim and Kathy Keller. But that's taken from the introduction to his book. He says, there's the three A's are adore. So as you're reading the Psalm, you're asking, what am I learning about God for which I could praise him or thank him? Adore. And then there's admit, what did you learn about yourself for which you need to change or repent? Yeah, so adore, admit, and the last one's aspire. What do I learn about life that I need to aspire to or ask for? Uh, so adore, admit, aspire. Cool. The three A's. The triple A's. There you go. Triple A insurance to keep you safe and triple A psalms to improve your spiritual standing. <laughs> cool. I thought this was a, possibly the most relevant portion um, as postmodern 
millennials or just postmodern people in general, how do the Psalms, quote unquote, fit our lives? Yeah. Because, you know, the Bible as a whole is, depending on what book you're reading, 2,000 years old. And so it seems like it's very unfit to our lives most of the time. Mm -hmm. So um, how do the Psalms, I mean, we could build the argument that every book of the Bible fits our lives, but how do the Psalms specifically fit our lives? Great question. Well, three ways, I would say. I think you can ask any person listening out there, what situation are you in in life? There could be... You know, at least three possibilities. Every person at some point in their life will be in these three seasons of life. The first I would call thrive. Thrive is when things are going well. When you're happy, uh, God is well-placed in heaven. He's presiding, but not bothering you or disappointing <laughs> you. And uh, things are working out. So in that way, it's like the Proverbs, right? The big idea of the Proverbs is that if you work hard and make good decisions, life goes well for you. Mm -hmm. And we'll have stretches of life where that's true. And so there's great psalms for that, to to give thanks to God. You know, a, a third of the psalms are thanksgiving. And so it gives us language to say, God, life is really good. Thank you. And I praise you for uh, making it uh, work this way. But at some point in your life... You will be. You will go from thrive to dive. Dive is when we're cut by the deep discontinuities of life, when the innocent suffer, senseless violence, the death of a loved one, divorce, disease, unemployment, loneliness, rejection, war, famine. We could go on. Dive, mm-hmm. uh, and these are a reminder that the world is not whole, and. Um, the book there is Ecclesiastes. Right. The, remember the big idea of the book Ecclesiastes? Vanity? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good word for it. I, I like to say it, you will live long enough to be unhappy and unstable. <laughs> that's the yeah. Ecclesiastes. So there's dive. And then in between those and getting from one to the other, there's this third category, a maintenance psalm, kind of speak that we could call survive. So thrive, dive, survive. To me, survive is the most bittersweet word in the English language. Because uh, if it's applied to you, it means you've experienced something hard. You survived. A cancer survivor, Holocaust survivor, whatever. Or a uh, widow who survives her husband. Or a, yeah. How do you say that he is survived by... Right, right, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. The people who are still living. So it means something's bad has happened in your life, but the good thing is you're still alive. So uh, it's Job, right? Job... Um, we learn that God does not exempt Christians from suffering. Mm-hmm. And we'll all be survivors to some degree. I mean, Christians get cancer in the same proportion as non-Christians and have car accidents in the same. When you hit your thumb with a hammer, uh, even though you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it still hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we don't get a pass on that. So, the beauty of the Psalms is it gives us language and prayers for each one of those seasons, and that's how it fits. It gives us thrive prayers. It gives us survive maintenance prayers. It gives us dive laments. Does, do the imprecatory Psalms fit in there? Dive, yeah, I would They're, say. Okay. Yeah, when, when we're mistreated and unjustly. Okay. So you mean to talk a little bit about those? Uh, sure, yeah. So a Thrive Psalm, for instance, is 145. If it, We won't take the time to read it here, but if you read Psalm 145, it's a beautiful psalm. What doesn't come out so much in the English is that it's one of eight acrostic psalms. Uh, 
So every verse of Psalm 145 begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Mm-hmm. So David is just having fun. Life is good. He sits down. Imagine trying to do that if you did 26 letters in the English alphabet, A, B, C, D, you know, and you write a verse or a, a, yeah. a line for each one. All my life is going pretty well. By the way, it's not that bad. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but, you know, I think what's in those Thrive Psalms is first this, this idea that we, it, David's using his head here. That would be a lot of work to create a piece of art like that in a prayer. And it's interesting how he does it. For instance, he quotes some from Exodus 34. So he like recites scripture and he's thinking about scripture. So part of Thanksgiving is recalling recalling scripture to mind Hmm. and quoting scripture. That should be part of our worship. True true worship always finds its anchor in the scriptures. But at the same time, the, the end of Psalm 145, he talks about, there's this great line, the eyes of all the world look to you for their food, hmm. and you give that to them in time. So he's, he's not only looking at the book, uh, he's, he's watching the world. And in watching the world, he's praising God. So this story, you may remember this. I tell this a couple times, that when we first got the house over, our first house, our neighbors, Elmer and Betty, Oh, were yeah. retired dairy farmers from North Dakota. The mm-hmm. first time we ever had them to our house, they walk in, and Elmer goes right to our refrigerator and opens the door. Do you remember this? <laughs> no, I, I was like four. He, he was looking, I think you were like eight or something. Well, maybe, I don't know how old. Yeah. Uh, he opens the door. He's looking for milk. And then he we sit down, and uh, Elmer asks you, and I don't know if you remember this, he asks you, Ethan, where does milk come from? <laughs> and you made the deadly mistake of saying King Supers. I did? Yeah. He said King Supers. And everyone goes, no! Milk comes from dairy farmers. And it goes on with this lecture about cows. They're, they're milk for nine months a year, twice a day for four years. And then they're slaughtered. And you eat the meat and they put shoes on your feet and all this. And, uh, you know, this great lecture. And I, afterwards I was thinking, you know, that's just incredible. He has such a understanding of how God feeds the world. If you think about it, every hour, God feeding the world, that's a bigger miracle than feeding, you know, a crowd of 5,000 from two fish and five loaves. God does yeah. it every hour. And uh, again, when you're thriving in life, you're praising God for all his goodness. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd say about... Um, the uh, Thrive Psalms. It's not only is it using your head, but it's also loosing your heart at the emotions of worship. So when was the last time you wrote an acrostic? I bet I can guess. Third grade? No, I, no, I think it was when you were in junior high and you loved that girl. What was her name? Oh, and on your book I've loved cover, a lot of women. Yeah, you have loved a lot of women. But this one, you wrote <laughs> her name and you crossed your name at the vowel with her name on your book cover <laughs> at school. <laughs> My point is, it's a little romance, right? When you write a psalm like this, 145 to God, it's, can I use the word, romantic? Mm-hmm. And the words in that psalm are amazing. The verbs, they're like meditating, telling, extolling, fathoming, exalting, praising, bubbling over, blessing, recounting, lauding, all these words. Uh, There's like 16 different verbs. And then they use the word all 16 times in the psalm, like a valley girl in California talking. It's all good, Uh, all that sort of thing. So he's just overcome with emotion. And that's why, you know, you asked me uh, in your notes about the C.S. Lewis quote, the most valuable things the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God 
which made David dance. Mm-hmm. So the Psalms give us that language to get our hearts stirred up. Yeah. That we could dance hmm. before God. Yeah, that's really good. Aren't the last five Psalms, it closes out with just praise Psalms like that? You're exactly right. Um, so 145 would be the intro to those. Right, right. Or would it be 146 if it's the last five? 146, I think, would be the last five. But, but yeah. Um, either way, um, one, I was, this is, I was kind of excited to get to this part and talk about what we call the imprecatory psalms. And the imprecatory mm-hmm. psalms, for those you know, 99.9% of the world who hasn't been to Bible college, um, simply means, how do you define them? Like when you're, Scandal songs. Or, or like when, it's like when you're, the ones that talk about when you're angry at yep. someone, you want to crush their heads crush and their, their head. destroy yeah. their infants. And, right. Well, you want me to read a passage of one? Yeah, 109. We're going through this, 109. This is probably the most well-known scandal song because no one knows what to do with it. I won't read the whole thing, but it picks up about in the middle. It says, uh, so, so some background, something here has happened to David. It's written by David where he's been betrayed. So it could have been one of the incidents when Saul betrayed him or maybe later on when during Absalom's revolt yeah. when people betrayed him. But he writes in the middle, he says, Appoint an evil man to oppose him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried, let him be found. May his prayers condemn him. And then here's where it gets really interesting. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. Of course, that verse was quoted when Judas was replaced. Yeah. May his children be fatherless. May his wife be a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes, and may a creditor seize all he has. So, you know, he wants really bad things to happen to yeah. this guy who betrayed him. Yeah. And so churches, I mean, when's the last time you heard that read in church? Yes. <laughs> People don't know how to handle that. Yeah. An uncensored kind of feeling. And so most churches, you know, they're either highly selective and they ignore it, steer around it. Or I've actually heard... Some people say, well, you know, that was back in the Old Testament, and we're much, we're much more evolved now. And, yeah. You know, like the implication of that is we never get angry anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, well. Or like a Marcionite view, like, oh, the God of the Old Testament doesn't really exist. Exactly, yeah. So but um, I think there's a better way. Yeah. I think they mean. And I mean, just different. to, real quick, just to plug how extreme, I think, I think the most yeah. extreme and precatory psalm is 137, yeah. which ends, Blessed is the man who smashes their young ones against the, the rocks right. or something like That's that. That's nasty, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so how do we read these imprecatory psalms? A couple of thoughts on that. One, I, have, I think it's important to understand what they are. It's not that David in Psalm 109 is going to go out and actually do these things. He's expressing his anger. And his feelings, he is venting. We could say to God, even though it's you know it's rather ugly. Those feelings, it's it's hard to digest. We we have trouble, I think, equating any kind of like rage uh, with anything remotely spiritual. But I I think that's a bit of a misunderstanding. And I would argue from Scripture that what David or from this Psalm, what David is doing here is expressing what we could call righteous anger. Yeah, it's an emotional response to evil. It's it's when the image of God in a person or in yourself is being trampled on by another person, hmm. and so it deserves anger. And um, I would argue that Jesus expressed this kind of anger. There's a, oh yeah, there's the Matthew twenty three passage where he it's called the seven woes, 
I don't think we get the sense of that in our, in, when it's translated into English. I mean, he is essentially saying to the Pharisees who are misleading people uh, from the ways of God with some of their teaching and all the laws, legalism, and he's really saying, damn you, damn you, Pharisees, damn you, you, you strain a gnat to, to swallow a camel, those sorts of things. So uh, we see him in the temple when he cleansed it. Josephus recalled that incident, a historian from around Jesus' time, that Jesus was a madman <laughs> going through the temple. But one of my favorites is in Mark chapter 3 when uh, Jesus goes into the synagogue. I think they're in Capernaum. Um, and uh, he's going to heal a man, but he knows that the Pharisees are watching him, and he knows what they're thinking. He knows that they're watching him to see if he's going to heal a guy on the Sabbath. So Jesus gets hacked off. <laughs> that they care more about their own laws than they do a, a man who needs healing. So what's, he asked them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill? But they were silent because he cornered them. And then he, it says, Jesus looked around at them, his pastors, with anger. And that word anger there is one of the strong Greek words for anger that literally is used of animals when their nostrils flare like oh. a bull at a rodeo. They're so <laughs> angry. His nostrils flaring. He was, so it's not just like Jesus got a little frustrated with uh, him. Right. He's, he's steaming mad. And then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And uh, he stretched it out and it was restored. But I, I think that's a new category of miracles, the anger miracles. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Because he was, I almost said pissed. Can you say pissed? Yeah. He, he yeah, was hacked off. <laughs> he was hacked off. And he healed this man out of anger. Yeah, it was funny because I read that. Um, I read that like <laughs> Onyx is chewing up his squeaky toy. Um, just uh, like two days ago, I think I wrote a blog post. I don't know if you saw it called "Righteous Anger." Mm, I haven't um, seen it. And it's about um, we'll watch a movie. I was wa- I was in the gym. I'll keep this short. I was in the gym and I was watching this movie that was on called "Walking Tall." And it's got Dwayne The Rock Johnson in it. Mm. And basically, he's a Marine who comes back to his hometown, the small rural, like, uh, northwestern mountain town. Finds out that it's been overrun by this casino. And um, basically, all the mom and pop shops have been replaced with, like, um, porn vendor, like, uh, adult adult video stores and Mm. stuff like that. And uh, everyone's profiting off this. These guys are getting filthy rich off these poor town people. So basically, there's all this injustice happening. And um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson just starts losing his mind. The first thing he does um, is he goes to the casino with this giant baseball bat and just Mm -hmm. starts destroying Mm -hmm. the casino, like smashing all the machines. He like breaks all the bones of all the employees. Um, he also finds out that they're like selling drugs to the high school kids, yeah. including his little nephew. Yeah. So he loses his mind. And I, I was wondering, I kind of made this connection that we Americans can watch a movie like that and kind of rejoice alongside him who is like destroying this injustice or this unjust system. And yet we kind of separate Jesus from that and say, well, when Jesus is just, you know, or when he lost his anger, when he lost his temper in the temple. Yeah. I can't say that really fast. When he lost his temper in the temple, um, <laughs> it like it was different. He didn't really, you know, and uh, there's kind of this dichotomy between like Jesus's anger and right. the rest of human anger, which yeah. like institutes justice yeah. or like Braveheart when he comes back and like the English people have taken his people captive, you know, 
Like we we get so pumped up seeing this justice instituted, even through violence, and um, I think that that's what Jesus was about was this yeah. like violent revolt against authentic injustice. Exactly, and he'll bring he's bringing justice. Yeah. It reminds me of that uh, Dorothy Sayers quote about how we've made Jesus into this. I forget the exact phrase she calls it, but into this uh, guy who's uh, more fit for uh, sweet old ladies. We've declawed the lion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I agree with you. Yeah. That, we uh, Americans see him way more as the lamb than the lion. That's for you sure. You know, or yeah. the, yeah. yeah. We do. I think that it's a fair question to ask then, how do you, how do you pray a psalm like this that's scorching yeah. with all this anger? And uh, so I, two, two things about that. One, I think these psalms teach us how to give our anger to God because we will, if we haven't yet, ex- experience betrayal. And we will experience things that make us angry. And I, so I think it's important to have psalms we can go to when we can vent mm-hmm. our anger when someone hurts us. And uh, that's the beauty of these psalms is we God's big enough to handle that. And in fact, what's interesting to me is that there's very little evidence of depression in the psalms. Hmm. And uh, I would argue that that's because, you know, David and others, they're just, they're venting their feelings. And so getting those feelings out was like a... Uh, placing them before God, uh, there's health in that. In fact, those feelings will come out. It's just a matter of whether you give them to God or whether you try to stuff them in, but they're going to come out towards your friends, yeah. towards your children, towards your dog. Uh, you're going to be an angry person. So you'll feel better when you can give your anger to God and express it. I think, too, you'll think better. The more you can process your anger and why you're angry and what's going on and how much it hurts, do that with God. And of course, friends as well. But you begin, as you talk about it and process, to get a perspective. Well, this, whatever it is, this betrayal, it doesn't have to define my life. Yeah, It's not the last word. I love that uh, there's a story in Kathleen Norris's book called Cloister Walk, where she talks about praying the scandal songs. And uh, she tells this story about teaching a class. And in this class, she Kathleen Norris teaches, there's this grandmother. Have you heard this? And mm, I don't this, think so. this grandmother, she ha- takes a class this particular day, goes home, and um, discovers that her little granddaughter is very upset. And her granddaughter tells her the story. What happened? Hot August day, somewhere in the south, her little granddaughter, eight or nine years old, rode her bike to the public pool and found out just as she got there that the pool was closing in a few minutes. Hmm. And so the lifeguard, some college kid, wouldn't let her in because they were closing the pool. And not only would he not let her in, he was very short with her, hurt her feelings, just crushed her. Mm-hmm. So this poor little girl had to ride her bike back to her grandmother's house, and she was just crying. And uh, The grandmother says, what's wrong, honey? And tells him the story. And then she says, well, honey, today I learned how to pray when we're angry. And I, we, prayed, we learned to pray Psalm 109. <laughs> so this grandmother starts reading Psalm 109 to her little granddaughter, you know, and gets to that part about may his children be wandering beggars and may creditors take all of he has and may his wife die, all this stuff. And finally the little girl says, Grandma, Grandma, stop, stop. He's just a college kid. <laughs> <laughs> so it helps you get perspective. You'll you'll think better. Hmm. The last thing I think these psalms do so that we'll feel better, we'll think better, we'll be better. Because I sense, Ethan, that until a person has admitted they're angry when they've been hurt and, and kind of given that to God. Until they've done that, I don't think they can forgive someone. Hmm. 
Uh, I think this kind of expression of anger plants the seeds of forgiveness. Yeah. So, so you'll be better. And then lastly, I think the other thing, you give your anger to God. And then I think these songs help us learn to get angry with God at the wrong, at the, at the right things. And mm-hmm. so I think the right things, you know, when the injustice, the racism, the genocide, torture, child abuse, sexual harassment, sex trafficking, drug trafficking, corporate greed, all these things that are part of our fallen, broken world, we should be angry right. about what it's doing to people made in God's image. God cares about these things, so we need to care too. And I think it's when I, so I try to read a psalm every day and, uh, you know, learning to pray. And when I get to these, some of these scandal songs, I always just try to think of someone, there's someone around the world today that needs me to pray this psalm for them because hmm. they're being abused and they need a voice crying out for them. Yeah. So, so, so two things you said that I want to go back to just yeah. real quick. At the very beginning, just to clarify and just reiterate, you said that there's, it's worth noting that David isn't actually going out and killing this guy's kids and right. killing him and torturing him and yeah. whatever else. He's expressing a desire to, mm-hmm. and you're saying that that desire is kind of released in this, in this prayer. Right. And, uh, I think it's just being emotionally honest with yeah. God. Yeah, yeah, kind of in place of actually going and correct and going Dwayne the Rock Johnson on that. Exactly. Um, and the other thing is just something that um, one of my professors at Moody used to say, yeah. uh, McDuffie. He had this thick New England accent, and he'd always say, "Saints, if you're ever going to swear, swear before the Lord." There's no other place to swear except before the Lord because He can take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's and a good he, line. He would always say like. Um, I forget exactly how he said it, but he was like, you know, saints, I rarely swear, but whenever I do, it's in my prayer closet uh, or something like that. And um, That's it. Yeah, that's it was good. just really good. But that's I good. feel like Christians today, in America at least, kind of are scared of... We're scared of those emo- dark emotions. Yeah, or like, like, like we're, we're fine expressing them to our friends, yeah, no. but expressing them in the quote-unquote presence of God, right. you know, that's, that's something different. That's why we need the Psalms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all I had. Mm-hmm. I think those are all my questions. That was yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so any final thoughts on praying the Psalms or anything that you want to go back to or close with? I think it's just uh, it's, it's been a great lifelong pursuit. Uh, you know, I've been at it for a long time, and every every week there's new things. And uh, what's interesting as you pray them, you know, when you're you. You pray them when you're 30, and then you pray them again when you're 55. It's a completely new experience. Hmm. It's You will never exhaust them. Yeah. And, again, talking about the thrive and dive seasons, we're back and forth all the time in between those. And uh, so I, I just find I need the Psalms. It's almost as if they're preparing me. So when life is good for me, it's good that I'm praying the dive Psalms because mm-hmm. I know hard days are coming. And then when hard days come... It's important to pray the Thrive songs because we know joy will come in the morning. Yeah, so, that's probably the harder one to do. Right? It is. It certainly is. But I think the Psalms help us prepare. Yeah. Cool. The other thing I'd say, real quick, Ethan, as a pastor, these have been invaluable when I've been with people on the worst day of their lives. Hmm. Right? Well, a hospital room or a house where someone has just died. 
Um, that's where we need the Psalms. And it's just amazing to get a family who's just lost a loved one around a table and you open the Psalms and pray Psalm 84 or Psalm 63. And the, the, the way the Psalm captures exactly what these hearts need to say, I'm continually blown away Hmm. by uh, the power of the Psalms. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for sitting down at the table with me, Dale. You bet. Ethan, boy, I'm proud of you. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so thank you guys for listening to this podcast. As always, um, we love feedback. You can send an email straight to me through my website at ethanreno.com. Just click the contact button. We'll have show notes. Um, My mom was taking pictures of us this entire time (laughs) as we've been talking, so I'll put a couple of those up so you can... Get a look at my dad and I sitting here in our comfy clothes. I'm actually doing laundry, so this is my laundry my laundry shirt when my good clothes are in the wash. So check that out at abscondpodcast.com if you're interested. We'll have all those up there for you. And um, lastly, there's always Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's all just my name, Ethan Renault. Um, so we'd love to hear from you guys. Did you like hearing my dad on the show? Did you... Not you want him to never be back again. Pray the imprecatory psalm over. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. If you do that, I'll come find you. <laughs> you can pray it over me, cause whatever. Do you pray against my family? Okay, don't actually pray against me. <laughs> um, thanks for listening, guys. This has been Abscond with Ethan Renault and my dad Larry Renault. Thanks for listening, everybody. 